podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are with another episode of the World of Work podcast. I've not got to say that for a while. Oh, listeners, if you could see the little <laughs> gleeful face in front of me of James opening up a new... Did you just squeal? I just did a little squeal. Okay. I think that's partially because it's sunny today. It's also because I've not heard Ripley squealing for a bit, so I feel like I need to replicate the, the squealing for all time. This is true. So uh, since, the last episode, uh, since the last series, my dog is another month older and hopefully a little bit quieter yes, in the background. Yes, squealing. Um, so, what new series. Yeah, what are we talking about? Uh, so, uh, this series is all about uh, inclusion, equality, diversity. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are involved in HR, people management, people support, you'll probably have quite a good grasp of why that's important, although we're still going to have that conversation with lots of different people from the sector. But for some of you who maybe don't work in that space, we hope that this series will be an opportunity for you to grasp some of the interesting experiences of people who work in inclusion and diversity, understand why it's important, what the challenges are, um, why the world needs to kind of get to grips with this and how it helps everybody. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of a really big thing, certainly for me, is I'm excited about doing this series because I think it starts to break down some of the ideas that IND is something that a group of people in an organisation do or one officer does. Yeah. Which sometimes has happened in previous organisations. Oh, that's the, you know, yeah, that's the yeah, diversity yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think I, I'm hoping from our guests, we've got some really cool guests. Yeah, yeah. The series is pretty much all guests, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I think they're really going to challenge some of our ideas and maybe even yours, listeners, about uh, all of this stuff. Yeah, so I'm really excited about yeah, this. Yeah, it's good. It's a fun um, series, isn't it? We are covering a whole range of issues within this space. We're going to talk about neurodiversity. We're going to talk about faith-based inclusion. We're also going to talk about policies and practices that people use in the workplace. Yeah, social mobility, I think, is on oh, the yeah, list. I'm really uh, intersectionality, looking forward, probably. And, looking yeah. forward to that. Intersectionality is a word that you might have thrown about. If it's not your area of, of focus, that will be a really interesting, yeah. I think, episode for you. Um, but we're going to start today with what we thought would be a really good introductory episode to this series. Um, James, do you want to tell us yeah, to sure. a little bit about the guest? Sure, yeah. So, so today we're having a conversation with Sarah Churchman. She works for PwC UK. So it's a big uh, accounting and consultancy firm in the UK, as, as I'm sure a lot of you know. She's their chief inclusion community and wellbeing officer, and she's worked in inclusion diversity um, for for uh, quite a while in that organisation, helping to grow and shape um, their approach internally um, in relation to that. So it's going to be an exciting conversation. It is, and for that, we've uh, just so you know, we record this after we have the conversation. So I've had the conversation, and I just want to apologise right now for sounding a little bit fangirly over it because it's a really. Um, You've just found your dream job, though, haven't you? Well, she's got this really interesting job, <laughs> and I think that mix of community well-being and inclusion, I think, is a really interesting portfolio. It's like. It feels a little bit like the soul, uh, the soul, or the or the mo- morals of the organisation yeah, that she's looking after, yeah, 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 yeah. and and I just I think that's cool, right? Yeah, it fits so well with the culture and what it's like yeah, to yeah. be there, and how you shape the purpose of an organisation. And, and she uses it's she the uses beating pulse of the organisation. Beating pulse. Okay, yeah. we can go with beating pulse. <laughs> but I also imagine that in an organisation that's very success financial focused, um, because by its nature it's yeah, huge yeah, and it yeah. needs to work. Um, I would imagine it's quite a challenging role. So I think yeah. it's quite an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get on to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. That was just a little bit of a, a teaser taster for you. But just before we do, 
we've not done it for a little while. It's been when did we last record? Like two months ago. Just just so you guys know, it's uh, it's early October now. We're recording this in the in the fading sunlight of an autumn day in Scotland. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been a while. So should we check in? I'm getting we, we can. James has, James has gone really literary today. Uh, yeah, we should check in because it yeah. feels like forever. It does, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, so how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, I've still been really enjoying getting my bike out. It's getting cold, but I've been biking around Edinburgh loads, loads of networking, meeting people, lots of interesting people, lots of projects coming up. We've got um, we're doing a meetup group up here, which is fun about reinventing work, which is great. So I've been out seeing people. Talking about that, um, we did obviously our we did a, a workshop in Bristol. That was oh great man, that was so much fun! Yeah, but even that feels a long time ago now. It really does, but we did we we did um, we did our f- kind of our first workshop like that yeah. together. Yeah. And it's always interesting when you I don't know cross cross the type of work you do. So we've yeah. we've kind of it felt like the first podcast again. Yeah, yeah. Was it was a little cool. bit like oh, uh, what are, we doing? are we good what? enough at this? Yeah, yeah, are we yeah. gonna be okay? So it was great um, fun. But it was great fun and just a massive thank you to all the people in Bristol who did turn up because we yeah. really appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, that was great. So um, that's kind of a little check in for me. Oh um, more important news, we've got a car. I never used to have a car, but now we've got a car so Can yeah. I just clarify James is referring to him and his partner having yeah, a car. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not not, not collectivists. No no no. So me and uh, my girlfriend and I we got a car. Um, and Has that's it got exciting. a name? No, it doesn't have a name. We talked okay. about it. We didn't get a are name. Are we grown-ups now? Uh, is that not? Some of us are. Um, that way. <laughs> Apologies. Um, but I did, I did basically do all the work about buying it on the day of all the climate protest rallies, and I, I felt a bit bad <laughs> about that. I'm here, like, furiously oh, researching James. cars, and, and Greta's out there doing good things, and the world's protesting, and um. yeah. What about you? What, any check-in from you? Yeah, it's been really busy. So, lots of coaching. Um... Love doing the workshop. Really looking forward to the next one. Um, and I have been on holiday, which was great. I tried to... Uh, I saw lots of wild animals, which was fab. I was in right, South Africa. Yeah. Got some time to do some reading. So I've got a whole new set of interests. And I also go into my next year of my master's. Oh, exciting. So, yes. All good. good. Great. Well, that's our check-in. Why don't we... Uh, Get ready and hand over to Sarah and learn all about inclusion, diversity, and equality. Enjoy our conversation. All right, so here we are with another episode of the World of Work podcast. This is actually the first of our series on inclusion and diversity. Um, As ever, when we've got guests on, we're going to jump straight into the content. We're lucky today to have Sarah Churchman with us. Um, and she's going to be leading off this series on inclusion and diversity and telling us a little bit more about the broader subject and what it means. Um, today, we're going to cover that overall introduction. We're going to talk a little bit about what inclusion is, what diversity is, who it affects, to some extent, why it matters, uh, what we might be able to do to improve it, and what it's like working in IND. Or at least that's what we think we're going to talk about. We'll see what we actually end up talking about. Um, so I guess before we start, Sarah, do you want to uh, jump in and introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit about yourself and your background? Yes, yeah, so sure. So hi, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Sarah Churchman. I am an HR director at PwC here in the UK, uh, where my remit uh, includes the DNI agenda. We call it diversity and inclusion. I'm the I'm the chief inclusion, well-being, and community officer. So it's a very grand title, but what that effectively means is I, I lead our firm's um, strategy and approach to uh, diversity and inclusion. I lead on our well-being agenda, which includes mental health. And I also lead on all the programs um, that we have in our, in our communities, which pretty much align to our internal campaigns, but very much about supporting our communities um, in terms of volunteering and fundraising, supporting social causes um, and our charities, which include 
wellbeing charities and also um, social mobility charities. So it's a great remit. I'm passionate about what I do. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a great job to have. Wow, that sounds, um, that sounds A, a lot and B, really exciting. Um, <laughs> I've got a great be really team behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I, just out of curiosity, how many of you are there? There are, well, there now it's, it is expanding um, because this is a very, very topical area. It seems to me that um, well-being, mental health in the workplace, inclusion, diversity, uh, the importance of organisations having a social purpose, they all seem to be growing growing up the kind of business priority agenda. So I've now got a team of 20. So um, it's not huge, given we're an organisation of 22,000 people, um, but we're spread across 24 locations across the UK. So, um, yeah, we're, we're a growing team. Okay, that's really helpful. That piece on responsible business or on, um, you know, social purpose and stuff is interesting. We're, our next series that we're doing is actually going to be about responsible business and linking to all of that. So Perfect. very topical. I'll be back. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, rather, I rather feel like there's like people listening who'd be like, oh, wow, you've got their dream job. Um, it w- yeah, hands it off everybody. Re- okay. <laughs> the, warn- the shots have been fired. Um, Okay, so I guess what would be really helpful, given this is the first episode in this series, would be to start by having a little bit of an understanding about what inclusion and what diversity mean to you. Sure. Um, It's it's such a good question. Um, I think when I first started in this role, um, there was little talk about inclusion. We talked about equal opportunities and being an equal opportunities employer and, and evolving that into an appreciation that until you focused on difference and the diverse communities that we employed, um, you, uh, you you tended to focus on you know equality as, as a, as a as a, as a, I suppose a euphemism for treating everybody the same and therefore treating them fairly, whereas I guess the focus, the shift of diversity helps you appreciate that everyone is different and needs to be treated differently. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the core to me is um, it means fairness and it does mean equality. So I'm big on equality of opportunity, equality of outcomes and general fairness. And I've got a sneaking yes. suspicion that's because I've got two kids. I've got a son and a daughter. Um, yes. And having invested heavily in every way in both of them, um, I now, I, you know, I want, to, I, I want to create a, a, I guess, a working environment um, and ensure that workplaces more generally um, are supportive of both genders, you know, but broader than that, people, whatever their background, um, if they're aspirational, if they're ambitious and hardworking, they should have equal chances of, of succeeding. Mm-hmm. And and when you know you talked there about genders and things like that. Um, what sort of groups do you think inclusion relates to? When, when we're talking about diversity, what, what are the different types of diversity that, that you think um, are represented in the workplace that we need to consider? Well, I think when we talk about diversity, um, I think it, it's quite limiting, which is why certainly I talk about inclusion now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think diversity, there's a, there's a lovely expression that you know diversity is about being invited to the party and inclusion is about um, being asked to dance at the party. Um, That's great. I hadn't heard that before. That's I, good. I think there's, there's a, the other one is, you know, diversity is is all about the numbers um, and inclusion is about making the numbers count. So diversity is about counting the numbers and inclusion yeah. is about making the numbers count. So I think when we think of diversity, most people, a lot of people actually assume that when you're talking diversity, you're talking gender diversity, because I think there's been mm-hmm. so much in the media and the press and on the government's agenda around um, gender, gender equality, gender pay gap, etc. More broadly, we're talking about the nine protected characteristics that are covered by um, the Equality Act of 2010. Um, but I think when we're talking inclusion, I think inclusion allows you to, to, 
to broaden that definition even further. And it really gets you to focus, okay. I think, on the intersectionality of all those aspects of our identities that make us each unique individuals right. coming from very different backgrounds, mm-hmm. very different upbringings, you know, um, but all having something to contribute in, in, in the world of work um, and wanting to work in an environment that is a level playing field in which we can all maximise our potential. Um, so I yeah. think, you know, diversity tends to be, I think, viewed as the protected characteristics, um, whereas inclusion gets you to shift, gives a shift to workplace culture, actually. Um, and I think, you know, if you're asked how inclusive are you, you tend to then fall back to counting the numbers of proportions uh, yes. of women, minorities, et cetera, et cetera. So the two are interlinked, yeah. um, but they are quite different. Mm-hmm. And and if you were to describe an inclusive culture, what would that be like? You know, what what do you think makes a culture inclusive? I think it's a it's a culture in which people, whatever their background, feel comfortable, feel they belong, um, and don't have mm-hmm. to contort themselves to fit in. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think it's one that probably manifests itself in, in you know demonstrably by having an incredible amount of diversity. Yeah. So. So that's a little bit about what diversity is, a little bit about what inclusion is. I, I liked um, the, you know, invited to the party versus asked to dance analogy there. I think that that's good. Um, it would be good to explore a little bit about why it, why it matters, right? So, I mean, we, we know it's very topical. It's been for a long time. It's on a lot of agendas, like you say, government um, and other agendas in, in the corporate space and in the, the, you know, the third sector and so on. But in terms of the impact it has, what is the impact that, you know, the creation of, a, of an inclusive culture might have on individuals? How does that manifest itself? Have you well, got thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Well, I think there's lots of evidence out there. There's lots of research out there. Um, some of it is quite specific on a particular aspect of diversity, be it gender or race. But there's, there's quite a few reports, um, some, some excellent ones by McKinsey, actually, that, that quantify um, the impact of having it's generally looking at leadership teams as what's the impact of having a diverse leadership team or, you know, a gender balanced okay. leadership team on the bottom line. I think, mm-hmm. I think, why does it matter? Um, I think in the, in the world of work and in, in the world of business where, where I work, I think it's becoming increasingly important for, for commercially successful organizations to demonstrate um, their social impact as well. Um, and the fact that they are, mm-hmm. you know, they are, um, socially responsible organizations, organizations that have a strong sense of purpose and, uh, you know, uh, live up to a a set of clear values. Um, Mm -hmm. And certainly my own organization, our our purpose is about building trust in society um, and solving solving Mm -hmm. important problems. And I think equality is a worldwide, it's a global issue, you know, delivering equality, whether it's gender, um, economic equality is, is, is really fundamental to all of us as humans. And I think organisations, employers, business has a role to play in that. Um, I think if you create an environment in which people feel that they do belong and feel comfortable, um, they can be themselves and they can perform better. Um, and if individuals okay. perform better, they are more productive individually, which means collectively as an organisation, you are more productive. It, you know, imp- it mm-hmm. does impact business performance. Um, and in an organisation like mine, which is, you know, an organisation uh, made up of talented people, we sell our um, knowledge and our experience and our expertise to clients. It's really important that you have the breadth of expertise and experiences um, with which to serve your clients. So, you know, it, it's it's critical, I think, to, to many organisations. They'll, they'll each probably develop their own business case. Um, but ours is, is mm-hmm. very much about we need, a, we need a broad range of talents and experiences 
um, our clients are diversifying, becoming increasingly diverse, you know, so it's actually critical to our commercial performance. And that's really interesting. And, and obviously you're in uh, an organization that sounds like it's quite forward thinking and it's trying to really think about these issues. What would your advice be as someone who's kind of been on that journey, maybe to people working in smaller organizations who are looking to make their business case to their leadership team? Um, well, have you got any advice or tips of how to win them over? Yeah, I mean, I think there is uh, what, what all the research into inclusion and diversity has shown is it, it's kind of um, raised the top of our agenda, uh, the, the, the pervasiveness of sort of the unconscious bias that we all have. You know, we all really like to work with people like ourselves. We socialize with people like ourselves, some, you know, with people we have things in common with. And that that takes place in the world of work as well. And I think mm-hmm. in this period of rapid change that we're in, the fourth industrial revolution, you know, digitization, world, the world of work is being transformed. Um, the sorts of the sorts of products that are coming to market now, you know, we I think we all have a responsibility, whether we're big or small, to disrupt ourselves because we have to stay relevant for the future. And I think diversity is an integral mm. part of that. You know, you need people who've got different backgrounds, who bring a very different kind of thinking who may have skills that you've never thought of investing in before into your organization. And if you're bringing in very different kinds of people, chances are your culture may not be very attractive to them or supportive of them. So, you know, I think I, I think we all have a responsibility to disrupt ourselves to remain relevant for the future. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting. I was having a chat with um, a uh, chief executive of a small organization I work with. And he said he, he finds this area quite challenging to push himself, but he says that he's learned he needs to yeah. feel uncomfortable at least a bit of the time in the environments in his work, because that suggests to him that yeah. he's being challenged from a, from a cultural and from a background point of view, which he's now realized is, is kind of a marker for him of, yes, I'm probably pushing the boundaries of this organization a little bit more than yeah. maybe well, I, I was. Often very senior people that, you know, they, they, they become senior because they're, because of their expertise, because of their knowledge. Um, and, 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 you know, if you think about it, if, you, if your social world is pretty homogenous looking, um, but you find yourself in a working environment that's incredibly diverse, you might not feel particularly expert in, I don't know, the cultural background of somebody who looks very different to you. And and I think it might, it, yeah. I don't know whether it's a very British thing or just a very human thing. You know, if you don't feel very knowledgeable, um, you don't want to appear as a senior person particularly vulnerable by show, showing your um, lack of knowledge or lack of insight. So people don't talk about some of these things. But you can only drive change through. You can only kind of disrupt yourself if you start the conversation, if you start the conversation about race. You know, how do you know if you can use the word black if you don't start talking to people about whether or not it's permissible to use that word? Um, And I think that does require people, and particularly more senior people, to show a bit of vulnerability. Yeah, and I think think, um, that vulnerability can sometimes come with a need for them to, and I I include myself in this, not be defensive about what they don't know. So you get this sort of, you, you get that quite a lot where I've had conversations and it's yeah. like, oh, should we be doing that? It's like, well, hang on, do you think we're doing it wrong? It's like, there's a difference yes. between wrong yes. and better. Yeah, I, I totally think. agree. Um, and so I guess I'm just a little bit interested in uh, the bit you were talking about sort of taking people, moving them forward and challenging them a little bit. What do you, how do you see, um, how do you know things are improving? I guess is is what I'd love to understand because clearly it sounds like your organisation is moving forward quite significantly in this 
but I'm guessing at the early stages, it's hard to always see yeah. how things are changing. Um, I think there's there's a number of ways that you can check in on that. I think at the very basic level, it's about um, counting the numbers. You know, so who who's attracted to work in your organisation? Who do you bring in into your organisation? What happens to them? So there, we talk about well. PwC, obviously, some of the accountants, consultants, of course, we take a data-driven approach. So we use data. We use data yes. a lot to sort of track. I, you know, I don't know how any any organisation can can claim to be an equal opportunities employer if they're not using this information and, and tracking the the performance and the, the progression of their of their diverse talent. Um, because only if you're if you're mm-hmm. using it in that way um, can you identify whether there are any barriers, any you know hotspots whether it's a retention issue or it might be a yeah. progression issue, whatever it might be. Um, and then you can make, then you can make interventions. Mm-hmm. But I think I mean, the most important thing is, is how you engage with your people on this agenda. Um, and, you know, if, if you mentioned a, a podcast series on employee engagement, um, are you engaging everybody? Yeah. You know, how are you measuring engagement? And are your, you know, are certain communities more engaged than others within, within your workforce? And I think that, that more qualitative data is really important as well to to really mm-hmm. interrogate your culture, uh, which is effectively you know all those things that make up culture, be it behaviours, be it your systems and processes, be it the language that you you use. You know, are they fully inclusive of the of, of the people that you're employing? Yeah, and and so I guess when you're looking at it from your own organisation, do you have something like a, an inclusion dashboard or a culture? Uh, a metrics dashboard yeah, we, that you yeah, use for Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Um, and we also set ourselves some targets for change as well. So, you know, if, if you have good data, if you have right. good employee data, and, and a lot of organisations don't actually, um, and I think the recent um, yeah. consultation by government on, on the, the possibility of introducing ethnicity pay gap reporting, I think was quite scary for many employers, particularly yes. those of, you know, 250 mm-hmm. employees or more, um, which are captured by the gender um, pay gap reporting regulations. Um if, if you know, if you you do need the, the you need good data um, to, to yeah yeah, and do you struggle with the disclosure? I mean, certainly when I've looked at this in the past, I, I don't think we ever in the places I've worked been able to get disclosure rates for things like ethnicity above about eighty um, percent. So we've got our disclosure levels are just above ninety percent, um, and I think if you know that's will we ever get to one hundred percent? I I hope we would. Um, but I think, you know, if you've got mm-hmm. anything more than 50%, you can start to do some pretty good analysis. Um, I think when, you know, if you've only got a very small yeah. percentage, it's very difficult to draw any conclusions from your analysis. But I always, it's funny, I always remember when yeah. um, the sexual orientation regulations were introduced in the UK by the government in 2003. And it, that was, a, you know, that sent mm-hmm. a few shockwaves through the world, of, the world of work. You know, can we ask people about their sexual orientation? Yeah. And um, I remember working with Stonewall at the time and they said, well, of course, yeah. you should be tracking this information. You know, it's now covered by legislation. And so just as you do gender and ethnicity, un, you know, under the Historic Race Relations and Sex Discrimination Act, you should be tracking. But they said you're going to have to ask your people to share this information yeah. on a on a continuous basis, because just asking once, they'll tell you to, you know, <laughs> go, go put yourself somewhere <laughs> yes, else. Yes, exactly. You, the, the, the and that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, that was 2003. Yeah. And in my organisation now, we've got about 75% disclosure level for sexual orientation. So I think you have to keep right. asking. Um, yeah. But people will only tell you if they're um, clear on how you're going to be using the information and they're confident that you're going to hold it confidentially. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and then when we think about, you know, you've got that, inter that information, you talked about sort of making some interventions based on the, yeah. the data and insights that you get from your, your stuff. H how would you do that? I mean, how would you identify a hotspot? And then have you got examples of the types of interventions yeah, you might so make I, based on I think um, a hotspot? A, a hotspot um, might be um, senior level recruitment, which is often pretty ad hoc. Okay. Um, uh, as opposed to, a, you know, a campaign to bring in a, a, a group of people or a large number of people. Um, but I think sometimes if, you, mm -hmm. if you've got senior level recruitment happening on an ad hoc basis across an organisation, it's only at the end of the year that you add up all the numbers and say, well, you know, good Lord, you know, um, of those 50 people we recruited, look, you know, 99% of them were male or, you know, and I, I think that's where, so then you can start focusing yeah, on your recruitment yeah, yeah. activity and ensuring that you're, you know, Mm -hmm. diversifying uh, the agencies that you're using you're profiling yourself in places that you might not right. have done before really to, to sort of throw the net more widely um but i think mm -hmm. um what we do what we look at very closely is if you set yourself targets there's only three levers that you can really pull to to deliver on those targets that's that's you know who you're recruiting into the organization uh -huh. who you're promoting through your grades if you've got yeah. targets at every grade and then who who you're yeah. retaining um, so, you know, I think, yeah. uh, the data does, the data analysis does drive a, a sort of targeted action plan and, and the targets tend to be aligned or the, the activity mm -hmm. rather tends to be aligned with the key stages of the employment life cycle, looking at your performance management process, looking right. at emotions process, looking at recruitment activity, those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really just, I've been reflecting on something you said in your introduction, which I'm really interested in. So you mentioned being passionate about both equality of opportunity mm. and equality of outcome. And I know that historically that might have been quite controversial, although we're slowly <laughs> edging our way forwards. Um, but I, I, equality of outcome does require probably in some cases some more in-depth interventions than we might traditionally be doing in terms of recruitment. So for example, we now know that women may be looking for more flexibility in their work. So adopting more flexible work practices is yeah. helpful to that. Is that something you found difficult to convince your senior leadership that change might need be more than just about attracting people to apply for jobs and actually it might be about sort of restructuring jobs yeah. or, or changing Absolutely. the way you work? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I, I, um, I fell into, um, I'd love to say I had a, a wonderful plan. I was the architect of my destiny. Um, it didn't all? quite happen like that. <laughs> Some years ago, uh, I was asked to look at work-life balance challenges um, in my organisation. And um, this came out of a staff survey, actually, the first global staff survey we did, that uh, it was one of the top issues for our people. And this was literally going back about 20 years before people... Work-life balance as a term wasn't, wasn't much used. Anyway, I, invest, I investigated balance, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and... Co concluded that that my organisation and, and I actually spoke to many other uh, employers as well, big big employers, big you know big brand names that we would all know. Um, I think we were all struggling with this whole concept concept of flexible working um, and how can we make the workplace more more flexible. This is this is the early two thousands, um, and and the primary driver for that was to better support um, women, particularly women who. Uh, 20 years ago, in, in the majority of cases, were the primary carers when a family came along, you know, um, and often wanted to return to work on a more flexible basis. And, and I think my early work um, had identified the fact that we, um, 
we were very, very uh, supportive of people returning on, on a flexible or a part-time contract, but we often agreed working arrangements that were never going to work. Um, and so therefore, uh, you know, the impact on the career, on, on, on the individual was that their career might stagnate, they might not continue progressing. We weren't very good at, at, at kind of taking a more commercial view to flexibility. So I think many organisations, and some probably are still at that point, you know, when they're, when they're considering uh, how do we achieve better gender balance, they go straight to flexible working and supporting working mothers. I think, um, certainly my experience, um, is that, that that's, that's changed dramatically. Um, and in today's workplace, uh, most people want flexibility, particularly in the knowledge economy and in, in, in the city and professional services sectors where... It makes no sense to have to come into the office every day when you've got all the technology that enables you to work anywhere yeah. and at any time. Now, there's a downside to that, of course, and, and you have to take a responsible, responsible approach to technology and use of technology. Um, but I think technology is a real enabler to greater flexibility, whether it's for women, for working parents, for carers of, mm-hmm. of elderly, you know, of elderly people. Uh, for people who just, for whatever reason, health reason, can't work, you know, uh, uh, on a full-time basis. Um, I think technology has been a real enabler and it has transformed the world of work. Um, it's also been a means a means by which yeah. we can empower people. Most people just want to feel trusted to, to do their work, but perhaps sometimes have some choice over when, where and how they do it. So I think actually the transformation yeah. of the workplace think, has been think... fantastic for women, but it's been fantastic for everybody. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I think many, organi- many, many employers have, have still to transform. But I guess, you know, I think see technology as a real opportunity as opposed to um, a, a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. It's it, I'm so interested that your portfolio includes both inclusion and, and mental uh, and well-being, um, because I imagine that that can be technology, as you've referred to, can be a real yeah. double-edged sword with that. And I, I'm thinking about particularly in France, where there's all sorts of regulations about technology not being used outside yeah. of traditional working hours and, and all of that. And I wonder sometimes whether that that support for some types of moving things or what feel like they're progressive policies actually can sometimes be hindering to people who want, as you say, more autonomy and more flexibility yeah. about how yeah. they work. Well, um, I think they are. It is a double-edged sword. I think, you know, many years ago, uh, people wanted to, I, I remember there being quite a strong demand for, for more homeworking. Um, I think now we're, we're far more mm-hmm. aware that, um, you know, if you work from home, that can be quite isolating. Um, it can be quite debilitating. So, you know, homeworking is not the answer for, for everybody at all. Um, I think it's about offering people choices, but supporting them in their choices. Um, and I think, you know, uh, healthy use of technology has to be role models from the very top. Yeah, okay. And is that something that you find a challenge? I mean, how, how, how important do you think that senior sponsorship is in, in embedding a, a an inclusive working culture and, and how much effort do you need to put to getting in to getting buy-in from sponsors? I think if you have no senior level sponsorship from this I, I wouldn't attempt to therefore <laughs> prioritize it to be perfectly honest I think I think <laughs> right, okay. the, the leadership yeah. the ownership the accountability has to be at the very top as well um, but I, th- I think a lot of this is about role modeling the right behaviors um, so you know you hear you hear great stories right. of leaders who talk about um, I don't know uh, you know, they're very, they're very, they're very um, open about their holidays and using the time for a for a deep, you know, digital detox because that's healthy. No one is very, it's mm-hmm. very, um, I think, difficult to be always um, 
off the radar. Um, but I think if people go off the radar, there's normally a way of getting to them, um, which, which means they don't have to be always on, you know. Yeah. So I, I think I think role modelling and, and, and the behaviours of our leaders is really important in, in driving some of these changes and transformation. Yeah. Um, just thinking a little bit, we've, we've been talking largely about situations where, uh, let's say, everyone accepts that the best way forward uh, and the argument for diversity and for inclusion is, is valid. Um, we know some organisations have some small pools of people who maybe find it more challenging yeah. uh, to accept a really inclusive environment. And I, I've, I, James, was, we were just chatting before and James mentioned the phrase uh, IND being something done mm. to them rather than as an organization feeling that they are championing it so they always feel on the back foot is that is that something you've got much experience on any advice for people who maybe are not experiencing resistance at the senior level but maybe at sort of other management levels finding it a bit challenging that to, to get people to prioritize yeah, I, I completely understand that um I, I i i don't know i think that's why in my experience it's it's almost better not to talk about diversity because uh, I think it's better to talk about inclusion because everyone wants to feel included, right? Um, and the, the, the challenge is most of us manage or lead in the way in which we have been managed or led in the past. Um, and so therefore, uh, transforming leadership and, and organisational environments is quite hard because people tend to go with the tried and tested because it's always worked. But it doesn't work if you're, yeah. you know, if actually the people mm. you're bringing in are, are very different and very diverse. Um, so I, I think that I think that is right. I think it's I think we have to make it meaningful for people. Um, most people, you know, most people uh, are responsive when they understand what's in it for them. <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, you know, most of the research <laughs> around DNI does show that there's a there's a, it, it's there's a commercial upside. It's good it's good for society to have people from you know more people working. Um, I, it, it's good for business, as all research and, and our experience shows as well. Most people just, I think, you know, caught in the middle, maybe middle management, just want to know what to do about it then. But but also explain to you know, what how, how mm-hmm. will it make their life better? How will it make things better for them? Um, and that, you know, the how or what will be better and how to make it better will vary from business to business. Um, and that's why I think there's no kind of generic business case. It's got to be relevant to your organisation. There's got to be um, a reason why uh and, and it might be that if you're working in a location where actually the people who are coming to work for you are just very, very different, well, then, as, as we say at PwC, 80% of our workforce are millennials. You know, we're not going to change them. They are changing us. They expect great technology in the world of work. So mm-hmm. I think it's some, there's something about, you know, how do you, how do you mm-hmm. therefore, you haven't got to have all the answers, but engage with your people to understand, you know, why they've joined, what will make them stay, what they're looking for in terms of the deal working for you. Um, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 about listening to people. It's about being curious um, and getting the most out of them. Yeah. And and you know, if we're thinking about that listening exercise and trying to understand what's important for people and and what people want to feel more included, have you got thoughts on how people in smaller organisations could maybe go about that discovery piece, that engagement with their people, and and to find out what's important um, for people in their organisation? This is going to sound really um, sad, but I would say just talk to people. Just talk to people and, and have those, you know, get mm-hmm. to know people as individuals because we all make assumptions about others based on our own experiences and based on what people look like or, or, or the little that we do know about them. Um, I think, you know, for, I work in yeah. a big organisation and I, and I often think 
um, how great to be in a, in, in a much smaller environment where you do know all of your people. Um, and I think in a way, yeah. in any big organization, that's kind of the environment that we're, try, we're trying to create. You know, it, it, our, our message is don't make assumptions about people based on the little that you know, get to know them so you can treat them as an individual. Only if you know know them as an individual can you work out what support they might need to progress to the next level, for example. So it all starts with the conversation and getting to know people. Yeah, and that's really helpful, I think, as a piece of advice for anyone who's got uh, a team Absolutely. or is working and, with you know, And I think it's about having commercial conversations as well because what somebody might need you might not be able to offer um but i think you know if you have a conversation and you have a good mm -hmm. relationship individuals will accept that if you can't make a certain adjustment um they they you know they will be able to get that um we support flexibility at pwc but some flexible working arrangements don't work in some parts of our firm and other arrangements work better elsewhere so I think it's all about um, working out, mm -hmm. you know, what will deliver results, um, but, but work for the individual as well as the business. Yeah, totally. it goes back to that individuality, doesn't it? I mean, you know, everyone comes from different places and Absolutely. businesses have different needs as well. So from a strategic perspective, you've got to fit Absolutely. with a business and you've got to fit with the people. Um, Quite often when we do our podcast, the people that we're speaking to uh, or, you know, engaging with are interested in learning a little bit more about what it's like to work in the areas we speak about. Um, what's your experience of working in IND? I mean, as, as Jane said at the beginning, we imagine a lot of people probably would love to be in your job. What's it like on a day to day? What do, what do you get out of um, it? Well, you know, how think, do you find it? I think it's quite funny because a lot of people, uh, as, a, as a, a, a woman, I think a lot of people think, um, if they don't know me, think I'm a raving feminist. Um, but I, as I say, I, you know, I, 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 I do, I, I love this job because it's so aligned to my own personal values. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really, it's, it's a really important role um, in, in my organisation because it's so very clearly aligned to purpose and, and, and um, there's a growing focus, I think, on, on mm -hmm. the purpose of, well, um, in, you know, in, in the world of, of commerce and industry. Um, I think it's it's hard though. Um, when I started out in this role, I did not know this was about cultural transformation um, and about shifting mindsets. I thought it was about right. um, updating our policies. If I'm really honest, <laughs> um, ensuring we're bringing a diverse range of people in. Uh, yes, um, okay. <laughs> so it's 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 been a fascinating learning journey for me, um, and it's definitely been a journey that we've been on over the last um, 15 or, or so, more 18 years I've, I've been sort of working in this space. Um, but it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and the way I explain to people is, you know, many of, many of the, the pros, you know, I, 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 half of my career was spent as an HR generalist, um, and I've specialised in recruitment or in award. I don't own yeah. any of those processes um, in my organization, but I have to influence all of them. I have to crawl all over our recruitment campaigns. Right. I have to look at how we approach reward and how we're rewarding people. I have to be looking at performance management and is that de delivering equality of outcomes? Is there any unconscious bias creeping in? So it's really interesting. So mm -hmm. you have to be incredibly collaborative. You have to be, I think, also very influential. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to build strong relationships because other pe otherwise people do feel you're interfering. <laughs> um, and, but um, but I do yeah, think yeah. <laughs> uh, most people want to get this right. Um, and I go right back to the data. You know, when people sometimes look at data and, and they can't explain it rationally, that's when you've got them and you've got them, you know, and, uh, with a willingness to, to, to change things and, and make a difference. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And and if if there are people out there who think they'd like to get more involved in IND in their organisation, have you got thoughts on what they can do? Can they do things on the side of their desk? Can they do anything to Absolutely. get involved and learn? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think I field? think it really helps to have uh, either um, a background in um, HR. Um, HR management or psychology or all these, mm-hmm. all these would be really helpful. But um, I own people who um, fulfill some DNI responsibilities on the side of their desk because it's a passion of theirs. Um, and that might be, um, in, in, in my experience, working with people who want to mentor, you know, sh- you know share their own expertise with people right. from um, a more disadvantaged background. Um, or, or they might want to okay. um, get involved in starting an employee network or an affinity group in their organization for people who uh, you know share an experience or a, a characteristic so there are lots of there are lots of women's networks out there or ethnic minority networks out uh-huh. there um, LGBT networks etc so you know I, I have I have a central team but a lot of people in my organization get involved in DNI activity. Um, so there are lots of, yes, lots of things, both, I'm sure, you know, if you're working in a, in a relatively small organization, there are lots of other networks out there that you could, mm-hmm. that you could join that, that are linked to the DNI agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're almost to the end of our time, but there's, there's probably just time for me to certainly squeeze in one more question. Um, I'm really, I'm really interested. Uh, we've been talking quite a lot recently about what the future holds for the world of work, and um, I'd be really interested in hearing what you think uh, the sort of up and coming challenges are for the next generation of workers in dec- uh, inclusion Gosh, and diversity. Um, where you think uh, you're going to be spending think, most of your time? I think the world of work is is transforming. Uh, um, in I the think next phase, there is a big focus on upskilling, reskilling people to remain relevant in a world um, of work that is that is rapidly transforming. Um, I think as as DNI professionals, IND professionals, it's about ensuring that um, the focus, particularly on technology, because that's that's so very core to, to the work that that we're we're doing and how we work at PwC. It's you know how do you ensure that um, you're taking an inclusive approach. To approach the technology that you're using how are you there's a lot written about you know how are you ensuring that the the products you're using the ai that you're tapping into isn't perpetuating biases of the past so um i think focusing on digital um upskilling uh in a fair way making sure everyone's having having the opportunity to, you know to, to upskill um to remain relevant and i think just helping um Helping the work, the world of work evolve. There's, there's also a lot written about how jobs are going to be taken over by the bots. But you know, someone's got to create the bots, haven't they? Um, so I just think, the, you know, I think, I think the shift and the change that we're seeing is a great yeah. opportunity for DNI because I yeah, think yeah. Um, the workplaces of, of the past, the very traditional workplaces, did make um, diversity, diversity and inclusion quite challenging. So I think the scale of change that we're seeing is a real opportunity. Yeah. And just to follow up on that, because it's, it's a personal interest of mine really, is do you get a sense that we're almost coming full circle around things like age? So this whole technology issue, one of the sort of challenges that's been leveled at, at the world of work is that maybe we're actually moving to a place where older workers are feeling 
less able and less. I think, I think uh, that's definitely uh, an assumption. Assumptions are being made about their abilities um, uh, to change you know, and transform it's, themselves. Stereotypes, there's always an element yet? of of truth to a stereotype. <laughs> Um, but I think yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, how do we dispel those set stereotypes? It's, it's showcasing all, all the role models that, that serve to dispel those stereotypes, yes. you know? I think also this focus on technology, you know, technology is, is an enabler, yeah. but technology is a thing. And it's only as good as the people who use it, who develop the code. <laughs> um, but, but equally, you know, it, mm-hmm. it requires yeah. human insight as well to really, uh, to really maximize the use of technology. Um, and I, yeah. you know, we, yeah, we yeah, just yeah. never forget the wisdom of, of those who have who have experienced more. Um, I think you know, human insight, business insight, and technology is a is a is a winning mix. That's excellent. brilliant. Yeah. Well, I think it's just time to say thank you. I thought that was excellent. I think we covered some really interesting things there. Um, and I think it's given our listeners a real uh, introduction to IND and, and the breadth of it and some of the exciting aspects of working <laughs> Thank in you. it and some of the challenges and things that you can do in that space. James is hilariously smiling at me and all I can think is, I think your job sounds brilliant. <laughs> which, is, I, I, which is, I guarantee you, not something I say to lots of people. Um, but uh, I think your portfolio is really interesting. And um, I guess... Uh, from my perspective, it's just to say a massive thank you for sharing your experience uh, with our listeners because for a lot of them, it's a really important issue. Pleasure, real pleasure. Thank you. Okay, welcome back. So that was our conversation with Sarah. We we thought that was really interesting. We thought it was a great introduction of a subject. Um, So hopefully you enjoyed it too. Um, Jen, have you got any sort of key thoughts on it or takeaways that that stuck stuck in your mind? Uh, Well, aside from the fact she's got a team of 20 people, which makes me a little bit jealous, um, I think probably my highlight was when she described part of her role as having to crawl all over uh, a recruitment campaign. And I think, I thought it was really interesting because she comes across and she presents her, her area as a very, soft is the wrong word, but a very... Um, uh, well, it's kind of human, isn't it? Human work. And yeah. yet the, the way she phrased it is almost a, a need to be forensic yeah. about identifying where there might be unintended issues yeah. or bias in a piece of work that she hasn't done so someone else has done that recruitment yeah. process and she has to literally crawl all over it finding what the problems yeah, are and yeah, i think it's great juxtaposition I, I really think it's helpful in thinking about how to do inclusion and diversity well yeah and you i think know? it's helpful for people who might be interested in learning more about what it's really like to, to try and change yeah. an organization this way yeah yeah and and that she will have had to gone away and challenge on that yeah cool so that was mine yeah. yours well, I guess uh, obviously there were lots of lots of stuff in there that was that was really good. One of the things that really um, stuck in my mind was the fact that, you know, everyone can do this from the side of their desk, right? So there's the whole link to your personal values and, and purpose and making a difference in work, and the fact that so many people have an opportunity to to do this as uh, as something that gives them purpose um, while doing their own jobs, and particularly for smaller organisations, she talked about kind of umbrella diversity networks that you can be involved in. So I think you know if anyone desires to work in this space they can make it happen and that's a great great thing yeah i think it is and uh, a really positive message great all right well why don't we say goodbye to everybody and uh check in again next week absolutely enjoy hi thanks for listening to this episode of the world of work podcast 
To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.